Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usedbookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 28, Resellers Mindset Podcast. Special guest today, Caleb Antique Book Collective. We're going to talk everything related to selling antique books, basically books that, you know, don't have a scannable barcode. As we know, my whole business revolves basically around going in, scanning a barcode of an item, a software telling me whether or not it's worth it. With Caleb down here, you know, he kind of has an eye, a knowledge base where he can go in and take a look at a shelf and kind of say, hey, let me check this one out. Let me check this one out. You know, he's not looking up every single book. So we're kind of going to just throw it over to him. He's going to introduce himself. And uh, we'll, me and JB will just, you know, roll with it, ask him some questions and, you know, see see where he's got to today. Let's go. So, hi, as he said, I'm Caleb, uh, Antique Book Collective. I do antique books. And um, he did say I have an expertise. I call it being a nerd. I'm a nerd for antique books. But yeah, um, I've been doing this for quite a few years now. I started out with Amazon KDP uh, doing the entire, sorry, not KDP, Amazon FBA and started out with that whole thing and then uh, slowly progressed and I kept on seeing, oh, antique books, antique books, let's see how they do. And eventually I decided antique books are my entire business. So that's where I am now. It's pretty funny to think about like antique books. When I, uh, when I first was doing books and I was doing bulk buys, I can honestly admit that if it didn't have a barcode, it was going into the donation pile. I didn't even think twice about looking up a single one of those books. I know it. I know it pains both of you. All right. I know it. I know it hurts. But listen, there's really there's not a huge like, you know, a huge following out there for antique books. There is because there's a lot of money in it, but it's not as, I guess, mainstream as just scanning barcodes and having a business that way. No, absolutely. And we're going to set the record straight here because I spoke out of turn because I mentioned you in the last episode, Caleb, and specifically how old you were. And I probably misspoke. I said you were 19, maybe 24, somewhere in there. But the comments, I noticed that a lot. Oh, my God, he's only 19. So how old are you? So I'm 24 now, but I did start around when I was 19. So, so I was right on all accounts. I'm just saying. Yep um so you're you're fairly young what got you into this at an early age outside the so, money yeah well outside the money i mean what i get in so right. for me i'm a i'm a history nerd i've always liked history that's sort of my thing and um antique books i mean i've always had a couple of things and uh one of my first antique things that i got that was like paper related was we lived in a really old house and back in the day the house was renovated and when we were re-renovating it we were tearing down the walls and Back in the day, they actually used to use newspaper as insulation. So I got all these old newspapers from uh, World War II. And it's like, this is really stinking cool. So from that, I collected all those, keep them all. I actually have them in my room. Um, I display them sometimes. I used them for so many school projects. But one thing led to another, and I just learned how much I loved antique books. And that's one. It's I'm here now. So, yeah. Oh, on the topic of uh, history and World War II, I even find in my vintage category, there's a difference, folks. He's antiquarian on vintage. Um, the World War II era, era, it's history, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter. It does fairly well for myself, and I'm assuming it does fairly well for you. Yeah, World War II is sort of my cutoff point. Like after World War II, things get a little less valuable for me. So, I mean, I do buy some, but I try to keep it World War II and older. Right. And I've also found in the fiction category, everybody loves Nazis for whatever reason. Doesn't really matter if there's a swastika or a Nazi on it, it'll sell. Um, just for allies and fighting Nazis, that whole Captain America kind of vibe. I, people still love that. I don't know why, because that war is long gone. Yeah. Uh, it's been a minute, but um, I guess the older guys are still digging it. So, yeah. Well, on the topic of Nazis, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this one yet, but I actually bought a uh, copy of Main Comp, Hitler's book, nice. a first edition. Yeah, the first American edition. I got that. Um, I actually got it over in a town called Beaverton, which is just south of Portland. So let's see for you guys. So here's Portland. Beaverton's like right here-ish. So yeah, I got a copy of Main Comp there. And I was like, really hope this does not go to any Nazis that try to murder anyone. Fingers crossed. Yeah, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I kind of put that out of my mind because I don't know who it actually is going to. 
Maybe it's a history person. Maybe it's a, well, I just want to learn about this period of time in general and read stuff from that period of time. Um, but that, that, that's an interesting concern as well. I, I, I've thought about the same thing like that, but I just kind of put it out of my mind, hoping it's going to a well, good person, I guess is the best way to put it, and not Mike. Dude, I sell books about, you know, guns and making ammo. And I yeah, don't think where, where's it going, it. right? I mean, I don't if you listen, you know, there's there's lots of hobbyists out there for different things. So I don't even think twice about, you know, is this going to some lunatic out there? But I mean, I guess I guess being passionate about books, you have a little bit of different mindset than I do, right? I just want to sell them and make money and, you know, collect, you know, maybe a, a specific set of like 10 books my whole life. But uh, yeah, it's a little different. I'm curious, like, when it comes to sourcing, like, what does your sourcing look like? What, how much are you willing to pay per book? How much are you looking to make per book? And do you have like, are, are thrift stores good for you? Libraries good for you? Do you have like a specific, like kind of almost genre of thrifting style you like to do? Yeah. Um, so for me, I like to spend like $2 and less per book. Um, obviously less is better, but I like to go like up to $2. Sometimes if I know the book's really, really good, I will go a little bit above that. But by and large, I try to keep it like two bucks and under. Uh, for sourcing books themselves, I find that libraries are fantastic, like Friends of the Library sales. I love those and I can get the books for really low prices. And then estate sales are my other like big go-to, but I've said this in videos on my channel. Um, the best book I've ever gotten was from Goodwill Outlet. So I do go to Goodwill Outlet every now and then. And uh, the specs, best book, guys, it was the first edition of The Time Machine. So 1895, I want to say, which was totally awesome. And it was worth thousands of dollars. So that was very cool. Now, for yeah. those who don't know, how often do you travel to source, like distance-wise and frequency? So I'm not doing the business quite as hardcore as I used to be doing it. Um, now I'm just more like the past year or so i just go to like one or two really 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 big sales and i buy a ton of things but um, when i'm really doing this business in a hard hardcore sort of way i will drive 800 miles plus and i would do that at least once a month sometimes several times in a month just to make sure that i have all the inventory i could want and need so funny story i watched a video of your yours like three weeks after it aired and i was like darn because you were in my area you were up in mineola texas and I'm like 15 minutes away from there. Yeah. So I don't actually drive these places. I just um, check out all the estate sales around those areas and tell people what I would do if I actually did go there. So I did not actually go in your area, promise. Well, fantasy's broken now. <laughs> uh, so on these eight mile treks, are you shopping along the way or are you just going straight there to that particular sale? Not eight mile, 800 mile. And um, oftentimes for the really, really long ones, I'll go straight there. But um, there were times, so for one of the trips that I went down to Redding, so I have driven all the way down to Redding, 800 miles there and back, a little over that, I think somewhere in there. But um, I actually went from Portland area, went down to Prineville, went over to Bend, and then I went all the way down. So I do do, uh, do, do. I do hit a lot of places along the way uh, just because it really helps me ensure that I'm making money the entire way. And in case that one spot doesn't make money, I still make money for the entire rest of the trip. So I like to cover my butt on stuff like that. But by and large, nowadays, I do just hit like one or two spots just because I get such a volume of books. It's not too hard to stay on top of things. So, yeah, that would be my concern that I get there and they're all gone and I wasted 800 miles of gas money or 1,600 miles. So I think I would have to shop along the way, too, just to make sure I come back with something, right? Yeah, it definitely is an issue. Um, there, what, There's been one estate – sorry, not estate sale. There's been one Friends of the Library sale that I went to. So I went from uh, Portland area all the way over to Milton Freewater, and I went to one uh, sale out there. And that was the closest I ever was to having nothing worth buying, which was a little bit like, ooh, this is not good, because I was going to hit a, another Friends of Library sale in Pendleton that same week, uh, that same day, actually. And that one, they decided to close down because of lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, ooh, thanks for not telling me here. But um, by and large, I have not had that be an issue, not even once, because the places that I go to that I drive all this way for are places that have thousands of books uh, Otherwise, like if they only have a couple hundred books, then odds are I will end up high and dry and not have anything there. So I like to cover my bases there. So do you do like private collections off like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist? Do you do you go combing through those lists or, at all or just no? When I first started with the uh, FBA business, I did check that out a little bit because I did hear that that worked pretty well for people. But uh, 
end of the day, I just, there was enough people that are book resellers in my area that those entire listings were all just flooded with people that actually knew the value of their books. So I just got to the point that I was like, eh, that's not my business, not my niche in this area. Because again, um, there's just so many other people reselling around here, but it is something that I do check in on every now and then. But by and large, estate sales, friends of the library sales, more of the larger things. Uh, and estate sales do do very well for me, though. Do we think there's more competition in antique books than scannable barcode books? I definitely think that there's a lot more competition in the scannable books because when I go to all these different sales, like I get there and there's like a huge line of other booksellers and like I'm chatting with them because I always like talking to people. I like talking to people. I'm a per people person, but I also am like, what's the competition? What are they doing? So I get in line. There's 20 of them. I'm like, hey, so what are you here for? And they're all scanners, every single one of them. Maybe one of them might like vintage books like Johnny B over here. Uh, but I'm the only person that a lot of these sales that actually looks for the antique books themselves. So it's really nice. On my side, the, the guys that sell this stuff on eBay, they do it in lots. They don't do singles like I do uh, that I found for the most part. Um, so I'd say yes and no. I mean... Yeah, they're selling the same stuff I am technically, so they're scooping that up too because uh, they're in the buy-it-all bulk market like I am. Um, but I don't think there's any competition when it comes to listing per listing, um, at least for me. All right, all right, Caleb. We got to know, uh, so you sell on eBay. People got to know, like, what what's, like, what's your lowest, like, what's your minimum profit you're shooting for? Like, what's the least amount you're going to list a, an antique book for? Is it, you know... Five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, or are you a nineteen ninety nine person like myself on eBay? So for me, I'm actually incredibly picky now that I've done the business for so long. So like, if I have the book in my possession and it's actually worth something, I will probably list it almost no matter no matter the price because like it's like eh, I, I have it, I might as well. But uh, when I'm actually shopping for books, when I'm doing the business like full scale, like I like to do the business my exact way, I like to shoot for a low end, absolute low end of. 35 bucks now to $45. That's what I normally try to shoot for. That's a, that's pretty healthy profit margin there. Um, now, when it comes to like, you sell antique books, different than me, you know, selling a book with a newer barcode and just throwing it in a poly bag. How do you package like all of your orders? So when I package my orders, um, a lot of these books, excuse me for a second, a lot of these books, I mean, they are older than everything. I mean, they show their age. And because of that, sometimes they're pretty brittle, that sort of stuff. So uh, sometimes I even have like leather books that the leather is even cracking. So whenever I'm doing these sorts of things, I try to make sure that they are going to get the customer like as perfectly as possible. So I actually individually wrap all the different books, especially with antique books. Uh, when I sell mass market paperbacks, I normally just shove all those in a box, make sure they get there nice and pretty. But um, for the actual antique books, I will literally wrap them I will do all that stuff, make them look real pretty. But for the ones, uh, the books that have the, like the crumbly leather, I'll actually, I actually have um, some cardstock cardboard going on over there. And I actually cut that out around the shape of the book. And I actually use that as sort of like a hardcover for the book, just to make sure that it's super safe. Safe, Because again, I mean, antique books, they can be quite brittle. I mean, I so far haven't had any issues with shipping and storage and that sort of stuff, because I am careful enough. But I have had some people complain on the, my YouTube videos of, oh, you're not careful enough. And it's like, I understand I'm not nearly careful enough for you guys, but trust me, I'm I'm plenty careful. Don't come to my channel. Yeah. I mean, um, so your buy cost is much like the East Coast buy cost. You guys are around the two dollar mark these days. Over here it's like fifty cents to a dollar still. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna see that inflation on buy cost in my area within the next year or two, honestly. But on the note of buying goods, what's the most because your 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 sell cost is way higher. What's the most you're willing to pay up to for a single piece? So what I will go like on the absolute high end for for a single book is like maybe ten dollars, but that's if I know that I'm going to make like eight hundred dollars on that book. So uh, I did a recent video on a set of Shakespeare books that I sold six hundred fifty bucks uh, bucks for that. I paid ten dollars, but that was for three books. So technically, I paid three thirty three each. But um, I try to keep it as low as I can. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm trying to make really, really good multiples on my money because there are just so many other things that I can put my money in. I don't want it all sunk into one giant boat. Now, here's the interesting fact that a lot of people that do media don't do that I know you do. You charge for shipping, which is a little different than most people. 
Can you explain? See, he don't like it either. Uh, what? What? Can you explain your methodology on charging for shipping? So yeah, so for shipping, um, there are a lot of good reasons to not charge for shipping. I mean, a lot for the a lot of the lower end buyers, uh, sellers. Sorry, no offense, Mike, use book guy. Um, a lot of the people selling the lower end books, though. I mean, it's you are expected to say it's worth $5 and that includes shipping because that's what everyone else is doing. So you have to stay with the pack or else everyone's going to be like, you're charging five bucks plus shipping. I can get it for five bucks less from this other guy. So that's one of the reasons why I do it. Uh, I also charge a $1 hand handling fee on top of all of that. The $1, it helps cover the new stupid eBay fee where they charge you for the shipping expense because why not? But it also helps like in case I ever am like, oh, the book, weighs one pound and it actually comes out weighing two once I get in the box and all that sort of stuff. So that's why I charge all my the stuff I do. Makes perfect sense. And I, I think both models actually do work at the end of the day. I just know I'm a lot more volume heavy and the free shipping's whatever, especially when you're dealing with multi-quantity. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Uh it's just one of those, well, it's affects my bottom line, but my sell through is higher. Um so speaking of volume and non-volume, how much volume are you outputting on eBay on a weekly or monthly basis? So I don't quite do as much as I know I ought to because I have so many other businesses going on. But um, the way that I'm normally trying to keep things going is I try, at least when I'm focusing on the business, to list at least 100 to $200 worth of books every single day. So a lot, a lot of the times with the books I'm doing, that only equates to like one or two books. So on those days, I might end up listing like 10 books, which is a good amount. So I list as much as I can, as often as I can, just to try to keep things spicy on the store, keep the store active. But uh, for sales volume, I get uh, between a few hundred dollars, like 500 on the low end to a couple of thousand dollars on my business. Um, obviously, it depends on how much work I'm putting into the business. So like when I'm totally laid back and I stop listing, stop sourcing for a few months, it will get down to the $500 range. But um, when I'm going hardcore, it's going to be 800, 900, 1,000, 1,200, and in the case of the giant awesome book that I got, um, the time machine, I mean, when you're selling one book for like six grand, that definitely does help your bottom line there. So, yeah. Now, dealing with these high dollar books, do you have a insurance thing you do with your shipping or signature or how do, how do you do that into it? So I know someone's going to hate me for saying this, but 99.9% um, .9 of the time, I don't do anything special for it because I've had no issues thus far and into the day. Let's be honest, I'm putting $2 into the book. I'm paying $3 for shipping or whatever. I'm actually $3. That's that's like three years ago price. I'm sorry, <laughs> doing five bucks now. So it's like, okay, uh, they lost it. That stinks. Let me refund the buyer, do this, do this. At the end of the day, I'm out like six bucks. Woo! So I'm not too concerned about that. But yeah, it is something that I'm like, maybe these really, really high-end books I might do a thing or two for. Do, you, do they go out priority or do they go out media mail? Media mail. I'm with you. Yeah, I'll ship $300, $500 books and silly media mail. And I don't insure it. And I don't do signatures either. Um, I've never had a book lost. And even, well, I take that back. I've had two books hit the lost and found and never to be found um, from USPS. Refunded the buyer. They gave, it was fine. No, the, Nobody's really mad at, the federal government not doing their job they really are so that's just part of the course pretty much um so i don't think it's worth doing insuring or stripping up a higher mail class to have some kind of at least a hundred dollar insurance thing i think what priority mail does um yeah. but everybody's welcome to run their business how they see fit and if you want to pay for fancy insurance and ship priority priority mail more power to you i guess i am uh i'm gonna run a youtube poll Next week, it's going to say, I sold a book for $6,000 and I shipped it media mail. Am I a criminal? <laughs> and I guarantee you, 95% of people say yes, but I do agree. I do the same thing as you, Caleb. I would ship it media mail and wash my hands of it. <laughs> media mail, no insurance, no signature. That was that one. Yep. Yep. I, I, that's listen that's why we look so so young we don't worry about that kind of stuff we just keep doing our normal stuff and send it out the door and hey you know yep. whatever happens happens that's a uh, pretty interesting i have a question though sorry uh is there like a certain book or maybe even like a certain set that you have sold multiple of right it's different for us we kind of can see uh if we know we sold something for you know 50 bucks 
we, we probably, I have items, you know, I've sold, you know, multiple CDs, the same CD for 50 plus dollars. And I know if I'm out and about and I see it, it's a little bit different with what you're doing because there's different additions for the stuff you do. And the addition makes a, you know, a huge difference in the price. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you have like any items, like any books that you have sold multiple of that were really profitable that just somehow just keep turning up while you're outsourcing? So it used to be the case that, yeah, I'd keep on finding the same book. And I still do have a couple that I find that I'm like, oh, I know that book. I'll grab that book. I do have that happen quite often. But when I first started my business, it was actually actually the Encyclopedia Britannica books. Uh, if you guys know about those, the 30 set books that weigh like 80 pounds when you ship them all out. Uh, when I first started my business, I actually just kept on finding those left and right and all over the board. So I'd keep on buying those. I'd keep on flipping those. But for the past, like, I don't know, three years, I have not found a single set like uh, I actually had my grandma um, she was clearing out her library and was like hey you want an encyclopedia set I'm like sure I haven't had one of those forever but uh, besides that I don't get many of the same books that I used to which is so funny because it's like what changed in the past three years that no one has this book anymore but besides that I mean I do have some books that I've sold several of but when you're doing antique books I mean antique books encompasses most of history and when you encompass most of history that's a big variety of books so I come across some and I'm like, oh, I remember you, I'll take you and you and you. But by and large, a lot of times it's like all foreign to me and it's all, oh, I've never seen you before. What are you worth? Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Ooh, this one's worth 500. Okay. So there's a particular boutique set I'm going to mention that whenever I mention it, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. But are you familiar with the limited edition club books? Like they're 20s on up. How often do you find those? Um, because me, I find them hardly ever, at least in my area. So when I first started, again, this is something that's changed since I started. And now when I first started, I saw like one or two. But since then, I have actually gotten to the point that it's like a lot of places I go to, I find a couple of them. So it's like, oh, I know this one and this one and this one. And it's fun because sometimes those limited edition book, edition, uh, book club edition books, sometimes they're worth a good chunk. And other times it's like, this is worth 25 cents. What's wrong with this one? Right. I've noticed that there's huge swing and they're from the same period, time period. Um, it, I, I think it would sell for more, but you're like you, it's like a quarter. It's like, why, what, what happened yeah. to this book to be so not valuable? Who uh, hurt you as a child, Mr. Book? Right. What did you do wrong? <laughs> uh, and just for those that aren't familiar, these are equivalent of Franklin library, Eastern press, but way on back twenties on up, probably maybe even earlier. Um, yeah. they're highly collectible because people try to collect the more boutique type publishers, I guess the best way to put it um and they like imported paper from italy and they got gold from france and all this crazy nonsense um and they're really pretty uh they're really well done better well i'm gonna say they're better than the east and the folio societies they really are um so whenever i find one i always pick them up but unfortunately sometimes they're worth a quarter sometimes they're worth several hundred dollars it's just kind of a dice roll yeah. uh, but uh, back to the ebay side of things so how long did it take you to really get in the swing of eBay? Were you off and on kind of dabbling at it or did you just go balls to the wall with it when you got into eBay? A lot of the stuff I do when I do it, I try to do it as hardcore and as like thoroughly as I can. Cause if I'm trying something out, I want to make sure that I gave it the best effort I could. So when I started in on the eBay, I was like, okay, I'm not just going to buy one or two books. I'm going to buy most of the antique books if not all the antique books from this first uh, friends of library sale i hit and started buying antique books at so that's sort of how i like to do my business i like to be like okay if i'm going to test this out i'm going to test it out as hardcore as i can and uh was there another part of your question sorry well i guess uh, the, the second part of my question was on the listing part how long does it take you to do a listing because i think you're like me and you put a lot more detail into your listings yeah so as you said um I do put a little more detail into it than a lot of people. I actually um, recently had a customer, not a customer, a YouTube viewer who was like, yeah, when I'm buying an antique book, a nice book, I'm not going to buy a book that has just one photo. So for me, I know that I'm catering to that sort of crowd. I mean, when you're selling an antique book, an antique book is not like a brand new book. So Mike, I mean, you can take one photo and it's good because it's a new book. It's not going to be like really terrible, but an antique book, um, just for an example, let me just grab a random one. Uh, you have special stains on the cover that are a little weird that someone might want to know about you have the sun bleaching on the cover so i mean it's going to be a different color you have the uh it might be an ex-library book it might have some writing in it all that sort of stuff so i like to mention 
all those things that I can so people know what they're getting. And a lot of the times I am willing to do that. I am capable of doing that with my whole time put into it, the time investment, because a lot of these books are worth a good chunk more money. So that's why I'm able to do that. And in addition to all that, again, I just try to cater to the more boutique sort of crowd. And that's why I wrap all of my books. That's why I ship them out in boxes as opposed to padded mailers. I want people to feel like they are dealing with someone that is a little more prestigious, if you will. Hey, 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 hey. Don't be talking about us padded mailer people like we live under the underpass or something. All right. You know, um, I got a question though for you. You just showed the book and it had like the, uh, that sticker on the inside. Now say like, say you have two copies of the same book and you're, and you're listing those and one has the sticker inside or like a lot of the antique books I see, it'll have like the pencil mark and like somebody is trying to sell it at an old bookstore and it'll have like, you know, a dollar or whatever. Does that affect the price? Like, and if so, like how much? So I find it really matters upon the book itself. So um, there are some times that I will actually go in and erase the pencil marked in price because a lot of the times people didn't press really hard on the paper like a complete psychopath. Um, I press when I write really hard. So I'm one of those psychopaths. But a lot of times I will actually go in and erase it because uh, people, if you can have the difference between a brand spanking new almost looking book where it has no writing, people generally will pay a premium for that. But at the same time, with some of these books like this one, uh, you might not have any other copies like anywhere out there. Or if there are, there's like one or two other ones. So it can be really rare. Like this one, um, there wasn't a whole lot of other copies. In fact, I don't know if I could find any comps on this one. So I just picked it up for like a buck. But um, a lot of the times it just is all over the board. It's like, okay, so I, when I first started, I thought, because I was doing the Amazon FBA side of things, you know, I thought, okay, it's an ex-library book. Here go. It's only good condition. No one wants a good condition book. So I used to be a little more skeptical of these things, but now that I've done it a long enough time, it's like, okay, this one might be X library and it actually is worth the same exact amount of money as this brand new book. So as another example, um, I actually just sold a book from 1791 uh, for $30, which was absolutely pitiful, but um, there was only one other edition of that book anywhere out there that I could find. And I actually priced my book basically the same price as them and it ended up selling. So that's sort of all over the board like that. You um you've sold a book without a cover, correct? Yeah, um, I have quite a few books that sell without covers. Um, I don't sell them quite as often. People are a little more particular on that because, I mean, when you're buying a book, you want it to look like a book, not like a random stapled pamphlet. Anyone can get that from the office, you know. So, um, I do find books without covers are a little harder to sell, but that doesn't mean that I overlook them all the time. I will still do all I can to look these books up because sometimes some of them can be worth dozens or even hundreds of dollars i have not had any be worth in the thousands territory though so here's the fun question um even in my vintage area i find nothing about the book no pricing whatever it's up to me to make up the own price i have a general idea of doing this for a minute of what it'll probably go for if it can go for more whatever if it could go for less whatever but there's none on there so scarcity methodology applies so for you on your price point because like it could be the only one in existence right yeah how do you do it like you you get to make up whatever price you want if you can off ask a million dollars if you want so how do you come in line with the market is it kind of like me where you have just a general idea or do you have a different way you go about it so for me i deal with um a lot of a lot like you it's like okay i have a general idea and then i also deal with some of like the gut feeling sort of thing and i do have a lot of people who are like hey you should price based on this one website that has all the data that ever existed and usually doesn't have all the data that ever existed um and it's not worth the price in my opinion as well for a lot of these things because at the end of the day it's like okay this is a book from let me just open this one up um this what this is here is a book from 1885 it's a book on christianity which is one of my better selling things my better profiting things uh since it's so small a lot of these smaller ones are worth less than say a full-size book so it's like okay this book right off the bat just looking at it if i can't find any comps i'd say this book's worth 40 bucks all day long so it's like i do get the general idea and then sometimes uh so like 90 percent of the time i'd say i do the entire thing of it's worth about 40 bucks and then sometimes though there will be the book that's like i've got a little bit of a gut feeling going on so i'm actually going to ask like 260 for this one so it's a little all, all over the board but you once you do this long enough you do get a little bit of that bookseller gut you know and you get to the point that you're like Hold up, I think this one's worth this. Yeah, I, I'm it's the same in my field, except lower prices. But um <laughs> the uh yeah, it just comes naturally. You've done it for a minute and you just have okay, I should look this one up. It 
has a lot of good points going for it versus nah, this is a dime a dozen kind of thing, just generic price point it. Um, so on that, um, on your pricing point, do you charge more for the way you list things? Are you above market, at market, below market with competitors in your field? Again, that's one of those answers that I got to answer. It depends. Uh, by and large, I'd say 90% of the time right now, I'm trying to undercut everyone else, especially with like recession fears, that sort of thing. I'm trying to make sure that my stuff sells before all them because I'm like, I'm not going to get stuck with bum steer here. I want to make sure that I'm making good money. Uh, but when I am doing the business, I really just base things on the book itself. And when I want to get rid of that book, if I think the book is worth a thousand dollars and no one else is charging a thousand, they might be charging 700, but my book is so much prettier. I will happily charge more than the market. Cause again, it is the entire scarcity sort of thing. It's like, okay, I know that 15 other people have this edition of this book, but no one has one that doesn't have any writing in it. No one has one that doesn't have any like STDs rolling around in it. Cause it just looks nasty as everything you guys have seen some old books. I mean, it's like, what did you do to this, sir? <laughs> So uh, it does depend, but uh, by and large, I do try to undercut people. Now, I got asked this recently, and I told him, no, I don't do it. So I'm curious what you would say to this. Do you look up every signature you find in a book? Uh, it really depends on the signature itself. If it's a really fancy looking one, and it's like, there's something special to this, I will look it up. So um, I'd say 50% of the time, I will actually get the signature actually being something cool. It doesn't really affect the value very much, but it is fun to be able to look these things up and be like, is this person like important enough that this book's worth $7 million or is that, are they important enough that it's just like, oh, that's cool. So it's not really worth my time to look these things up, but I'm hoping eventually I will find one by like Fred, uh, Franklin Delano or Roosevelt or something and be like, hey, look, it has this guy. Now, when you have somebody of note, do you put in the listing that it's signed or do you have it authenticated? What's your process when you find, oh, somebody of note signed this, they're important, they're related to the book somehow, some way? Yeah, so um, as you guys know, probably from the shipping side of things, since I'm not paying for insurance on the shipping, since I'm not paying for the signature, I'm not going to pay for the authentication, but I will go out and authenticate it as best I can on my own. I mean, I will look up all the different variations of this person's signature if they are really important. I will mention it in the listing. I'll even say like, signed by Bob Ross, you know, and I'll be like that. And then I'll make sure that I have a photo like of the whole page that the signature's on. Then I'll get like an up close shot so people can see the pen strokes, see that it actually is a legit sort of thing going on. But yeah, I'm not going to pay $300 for a certificate of, of office authenticity or anything like that. Sorry. So that's just sort of how I do it. And then I haven't had anyone complaining uh, so far. And one of the things about since I'm not charged, uh, not sorry, uh, since I'm not paying for that certificate, I'm not going to charge them like $7 million for it. Like if I'm charging 7 million, I might go out and do that. But by and large, mm -hmm. it is like, hey, this is signed by this person. Here's this. I'll charge 15 bucks more, 30 bucks more. Depends on the book. I might just charge 20% as a baseline more. It really depends. So for me, when I find somebody, and I find a lot more artist signatures in my field because yeah. of the cover arts and my paperbacks than I do author signatures. But I always, I always say in there, I presume it is signed by such individual use your best judgment. Um, I don't even put in the, for those that don't know, there's an item specific where you can say it's signed. I don't do that. I put it down in the description that, hey, it may be signed. There's a photo of it, see photo blah above for signature verification on your end. Um, I, I have this maybe crazy fear that I can get dinged and it's fake uh, because forgery is whatever, or just some guy wrote it in, just copying the name because whatever reason goes on human brains, who knows? Um, so I kind of play it safe when it comes to that. I've thought about getting them validated before, but I found it, even in authors, it doesn't affect the price that much. Maybe an extra 15, 20 bucks. Um, unless it's like somebody, the thing with signatures, folks, they have to sign rarely for it to really be valuable in most cases. So the less they sign, the more valuable it can be kind of deal. But that's just how I do it. I got two signature stories, right? So first one, uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter. I'm a fan, all right? Deb hates Dog the Bounty Hunter, but like whenever I have it on TV, she's like, turn this off, whatever. I actually found a Dog the Bounty Hunter book signed. And listen, whether a 10-year-old signed it or not, in my heart, it's signed by Dog the Bounty Hunter, right? But then like uh, what Johnny B was saying, I also found one of uh, Trump's older books signed by him. And 
the the book alone is like a four dollar book but with his signature it's like you know close to a two hundred dollar book but these are things that i don't really like i don't look for it was just by chance and i know some people are like oh i check books for autographs well if i'm sending stuff into amazon the last step is me flipping through the pages before I put it in the box and send it off. If it's signed, I don't care. It's still good condition, still the same condition note. I don't go back and change anything or try to charge a primo. So I've sold probably, you know, hundreds of books that were signed and it really has no effect. I mean, it would be cool to, you know, a, a book signed by like Ben Franklin or something, you know, that'd, that'd be like awesome to have. But I think, uh, I mean, I don't know. I got I got some rapid fire questions for you, Caleb. This is, this is going to be the lightning round here. All right. Uh -oh. Give me uh, three tips. A person who never really, you know, a scanner like myself, I walk into a bookstore or thrift store and there, there's a lot of antique books. Give me three tips to kind of three newbie tips that are going to make my life a little bit easier. Maybe not easier, but it will help you with the selling of the antique books. But the first thing, guys, I say this on my channel, look every single book up. I know it sounds time consuming, but um, that's tip number one is look everything up. Tip number two to look it up. Just title author and the year it was printed that's all you really have to do some people get like off in the weeds and they say the edition all these sorts of things but you get a good ballpark idea based on just the title author year that really is a good thing and the third thing um honestly i would say if you are new to this whole thing and you're trying to get into the business don't just like scan one or two books and be like oh none of these antique books are worth anything or actually look it up not scan it sorry don't just do one or two i find that i like to do at least 15 books before I'm like okay none of these books here are worth anything so like I don't scan, uh, go through every single one and check every single one once I get through 15 that are just all trash but um a lot of people I find do end up quitting after just going through like one or two books and like ah, none of it's worth anything I'm washing my hands of this it's not worth anything so I would recommend look everything up do it as quick as you can, obviously, just type in the info that you really need and try to get through as many as you can before you decide, uh, this is, uh, this is bump steer. I don't want to do it. I, um, I definitely, when I, when I, you know, have my bulk buys and my bulk pickups from the library, I look up every single one that doesn't have a barcode just because I know there's money in it. And yeah, I mean, it's really, we can sit here and say it's time consuming, but once, you know, once you have the app figured out, eBay, like you said, it's so easy to just type it filter to sold listings, you know, see if there's anything listed and, you know, you're making decisions basically within 30 seconds per book. So really isn't that time consuming. Um, next one I got for you is okay. Antique book collective. All right. Are you a collector is, you know, the room, the rest of the room, we can't see full with books from your collection or do you, you sell primarily and collect secondary or is it vice versa? Yeah, so um, I actually chose the name Collective instead of Collector uh, for my channel name, not only because I wanted it to be ABC and be funny, but uh, Collective is not really a collection of books. It's actually supposed to be like a collective of people. So I'm trying to find all the other booksellers I can out there and all the people that want to be booksellers. So that's where Collective came from was um, I just want to make sure that I get as many people as I want. That way we can get as many books as we want. Um, as for collections myself for books, uh, I don't really collect a lot of the antique books that I have. Uh, I know I sound like a heathen for doing that. I mean, I'm selling all these antique books that are so collectible, but at the end of the day, it's my business. Uh, and it is really fun to be like, yeah, talking to all these other collectors. Yeah, I actually had that book a couple of years ago. It was totally awesome. It was beautiful. I mean, you should have seen it. Da, 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 da. It's really fun to do stuff like that because it's like, yeah, a lot of the uh, rush, you know, of like having a collection for me is just like, saying that I had it at some point you know so for me it really works for being a seller because it's like yeah I had that book and that book and that book and I've mentioned in other videos that I have on my channel uh that the first edition of the time machine by H.G. Wells that's one of the first science fiction books that I read and I'm a science fiction nerd so to think that I even owned that thing at some point it's like that is stupid cool so a lot of that is uh the end of end of morphin or whatever it is uh hit for me it's like oh man did you guys know that I actually had that book at some point? Isn't that crazy? So that's sort of that for me. Is there some crazy like antique book out there? Like if you came across it, even though it's worth $5,000 that you would actually keep for yourself? I really thought that I was going to keep that time machine one. Honestly, uh, there are a lot of books that I've actually bought and sold over the years that I'm like, okay, I, I do list all the ones that I buy for the business, honestly, just because that is, my business, it, I mean, I do need to make money. Money is a thing. Money does exist, believe it or not. But um, 
I don't think there's anything that would actually be like, I'm not going to sell this no matter what. But that isn't to say if I do like a, a book a whole lot, it's like, I'm going to charge an extra hundred bucks onto this one because I would be happy to hang on to this book for like three more years just because it looks really cool because it is really cool, that sort of thing. So there are some books that it's like, no, that one's mine for now. You could, you can you could get it off me, but it's going to cost you. I'm going to interject that bike here real quick. So do you saw on any other platforms other than eBay, like Abe Books? That's what people also think of when we say antiquarian or vintage. They go to Abe's kind of deal versus eBay. I don't. I, I know I sound like a bad eBay, especially a bad antique bookseller. Um, I do check out Abe Books when I'm doing price comps, but I'm eBay only. It has worked so well for me on the price structure for fees. I know a lot of people complain about the fees, but when you're paying $2 for a book and you're selling a book for 40 bucks or whatever. Uh, actually, guys, my average sales price when I'm doing the business, like I really like to do it. My average sales price is about 70 bucks. So when you have the eBay fees on all on all that, it's like it's not really going to ruin everything. Whereas with uh, Amazon FBA for me, I mean, I was losing for a lot of the books I'd be selling. because I did go for lower end side of things. Um, I did have a lot of things that were like, oh, I'm losing like 60 percent of the money between all the different things. It's like that's not really worth my time. Promoted listings or no promoted listings? I promote all my listings. When I first started a couple of years ago, I didn't do it for anything except for like the higher end books that I wanted to make sure sold. But uh, eBay, they changed things. A lot of other people have pointed this out as well. If you don't permit, promote your listing, it's like a lot less likely to sell, which really stinks. All right. So I, I got another one for you. What's the future here of uh, the collective? Is, is you're going to keep, I know you have a lot of different things going on in the background. You're not just a bookseller. You have a lot of other businesses you're working on, your KDP, things like that. Like what's the future of selling books for you? Is this something like you're going to continuously do over, you know, the next 50 years it might not be at the scale you want it to be, but you're always kind of going to be, you know, selling books here and there, or are you planning on, you know, just doing something else? It's something I'm planning on doing for until I kick the bucket and hopefully I, uh, my descendants will end up continue doing it because it's just such a fun business for me. I mean, it's very fulfilling to be like, yeah, I just found this book from 1700s that was going to get thrown away. This is like amazing. Uh, it is something that's just really fun on that point. Uh, I actually did have a period. So I did this business hardcore, uh, like right out of high school. I did it hardcore for like two years and then I almost basically stopped. I didn't buy it basically any books for a couple of years uh so i could just focus on all the other business ventures that i'm doing because i am in a lot of different business ventures doing all these different sort of things so i actually did stop more or less uh buying a lot of these books i mean i did go out every now and then and buy a couple but i did basically stop for a long time uh but i did keep the ebay store going i did keep fulfilling all the different orders that i did get and that is something that i do see myself doing potentially again in the future i mean there are times that it's like okay so i need the next two years potentially for this specific project because there are a lot of bigger projects that I do work on in my life that's like okay this is not just something that's going to take a couple hours here and there this is something that's going to take every waking hour of my life for x long so for me um that's something that I do sort of do but it is uh antique book selling is something I plan on doing forever just not at the hardcore scale that I all uh, might do every now and then so outside of book sets do you do book lots yeah, so I do uh, lots of books for generally the lower end books that I sell because, um, uh, as I mentioned earlier in this thing, with recession fears, that sort of thing, um, I do study the economy. That's a big area of my study. Uh, I'm a big nerd, as I mentioned already. So uh, I saw this coming, uh, I want to say about September of uh, two years ago. I actually was like, okay, we are getting into a recession, so I'm going to diversify into the lower uh, level books, the lower uh, cost books. So I actually bought a boatload and a half of mass market paperbacks. And I do sell the mass market paperbacks as lots because a lot of those don't sell as sets. So I'm like, here is a lot of 20 different Star Wars uh, mass market paperbacks. Here's a lot of different ones that are just, let's just say broad thrillers, if you will. So that's sort of what I do. But by and large, when I'm doing antique books, it's it's sets 99.9% .9 of the time. Uh, the 1% of the time that it's not, it, with the lots, it's usually the books are quite similar or maybe it's a lot of cookbooks, but by and large, it's either going to be sets or it's going to be the individual books for me. That was, uh, uh, that was the first video I ever watched on your channel was uh, your mass market uh, paperback, lot them up and sell them videos, which is pretty crazy because, you know, antique book guys selling uh, 
Danielle Steele, Mass Markets, and that's how I stumble across them, right? Uh, I'm curious, like, do you ever have any intentions on coming back to the dark side and being a book scanner? Uh, I will admit it. I um, I was using the eBay app, but I was scanning uh, just the other day um, back on the last big group of books that I bought from a university. I was actually scanning the textbooks and that sort of thing because it is so much faster to scan just a barcode as opposed to typing in uh, textbook Algebra 2 by John. Da, 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 da. It takes a long time. It's really nice to just be able to boop done so so there is still a little bit of the dark side inside of you somewhere we just got to pull it out and bring you back to the uh now it is a good point though because like you kind of hit on it right that the amazon fees are just they're insanity now you know and they were insanity back when you decided that you know it was it was it was insanity back then and it's insanity times two now so i do like the idea of uh you know your whole business model antique books personally for me i thought they were all junk when I first started selling books, I didn't think there was any money in any single book that didn't have a barcode. And I'm sorely mistaken now. Like, I don't even want to know how much money I just, you know, donated to a thrift store or, or a book bin just because just like, I don't know if it's one of those things where you just, if you don't know, or like, there's really not a lot, not a lot of content out there around antique books, right? There's mm -hmm. you, but like, who else really focuses on antique books when it comes to, you know, youtube i don't think there's anybody that just solely focuses on antique books so i hope uh, hopefully it's eye-opening for people out there you know you can just walk in and nobody's really going to look at those books and you could find a whole bunch of money sure right if you're on amazon you're not you're not there's probably not even a listing for a first edition you know stephen king this or stephen king that but that's even like a more common one where if somebody sees a stephen king book just flip it open and see if it's first edition and boom right there is a 40 dollars bill it's going to sell the same day you list it on ebay so it's not even like you got to have the huge knowledge base that you have, because even some of the newer stuff, if you get the first editions, it's going to be worth a nice, a good amount of money. Yeah, for sure. All right. And I mean, the fees is the reason I pulled out and the amount of what I'd have to find out in my area would be a lot less than last year, honestly, um, just for that adjustment. So that's the reason and I to, pulled out. Go ahead. And to go off of that stinking, not just the fees, that's an expense for your business, but stinking Amazon. Like people are like, oh, eBay scammers, I'm going to lose my money. But it's like, guys, have you seen the Amazon scammers? Those babies will like, oh, I bought this $40 book. Oh, uh, I'm returning it. Here's a rock. Now, what I thought about doing for funsies, because we've we've had the OA discussion and I'm thinking about going the reverse, Amazon to eBay. I think that'd be fun to do because I've, I've sent some older stuff in there. Oh, and some more boutique type stuff like Easton did not do well at Amazon. So I'm wondering if there's a way for me to OA it to eBay um, and make it justifiable cost wise. That's just one of those crazy ideas I think of because everybody goes the reverse eBay to Amazon. Um, so that should be fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Experiments. I'm uh, so like somebody wants to start getting into antique books today. Um, because personally for me, at least of my thrift stores, I don't see a lot of antique books out there. Like what would be like, all right, I'm brand new to an antique books. Uh, you said, you know, you love libraries. Would that be like, say, would you tell me, Hey, go to your local, you know, five libraries and check out their for sale section. And like, kind of what expectations would you kind of put on somebody that was brand new to antique books when it comes to just, just getting started with it? So I, um, Obviously, for people that are brand new, I try to give them option optionality, you know, for being like, if you're going to source, I'm not going to say just go to this one store. So I actually have a list of three places that I recommend people go to for buying. Uh, first one is estate sales. If you go to an estate sale, there's a good chance that the books are not only going to be older because a lot of the people that are doing estate sales, uh, it's because someone older passed away. So these book, people have books from their entire lifetime. Sometimes it's, it's their grandparents grandparents old books you know so it's going to be an antique so that's a great place to get them and a lot of times those books are going to be well cared for because someone's owned them all this time uh another one is friends of library sales uh, i find those are really good you get some really good prices at those uh problem is sometimes when it gets donated it might not be great but a lot of these friends of library sales will donate uh and sell the nicer books that they do get donated which is something that's nice and finally goodwill outlet um is probably one that i recommend more often than not, because again, that's where I got my first edition of the Time Machine. People were asking thirty grand for that book when I bought it, and I bought it for two twenty nine. So it's like that's a good multiple. I didn't, I didn't sell it for twenty. I sorry for thirty. Uh, I sold it for about six grand, I believe. But it is something that is definitely a good option for people, and 
at the end of the day, I do sort of also say, be like, hey, maybe antique books aren't your thing. So maybe you should just go to Google Outlet, look around, look for something that calls you and see what it's worth. I mean, some people go to Google Outlet and they just do jeans. I mean, it really depends. So, yeah. Johnny B brings up all the time, right? If you're not like a specialized or interested in something, like if Caleb lived around me, I'd be like, yo, I got all these antique books. Come take a look. Whatever you want to buy for a buck, two bucks, that's fine. Take it off my hands. So even if it's something that really isn't like uh, your interest, like, you know, I'm not really big in the books, right? Sure, you know, I did I did walk into a lot of all first edition Stephen Kings and that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. But maybe maybe look out in your area, local bookstores. You know, somebody's going to appreciate those antique books just because there's no value in our eyes because it doesn't have a barcode doesn't mean there's no value in anybody's eyes. It's probably worth a whole bunch of money. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. Caleb, thanks for hanging out. You want to yeah. find him. He's over on the YouTube. Great channel. Uh, everything about book selling. And even, you know, like he said, he's, he's real into the economy. He has some, you know, two hour long videos of talking about what's going on out there and and just the, the market of books and things like that and how, how it basically coincides with his business, Antique Book Collective over there. Any final thoughts, Johnny? Final thoughts would be um, when you don't know anything about a book or just have a funny feeling as Caleb was saying that this could be worth something. Take the time, learn it, and you'll have that knowledge going forward. Yeah, leverage uh, Caleb. Comment on his YouTube channel. You come across, you know, first, second edition book. All you got to do is comment. He'll tell you if it's worth anything or if, you know, just if it's just trash. And, you know, kind of lean on somebody that has the experience. Caleb, final thoughts. We'll let you wrap it up here and take it away. Yeah, honestly, like, you don't even have to ask a quote-unquote expert. I mean, I don't see myself in the, as an expert whatsoever. But, I mean, guys, the internet is a powerful thing. I mean, you literally can just look up uh here's this book and like you can literally be like i don't even know the year you can just look up the book and you can look for a similar photo and you can see what it sells for i mean the internet is so powerful like if you guys started this business 20 years ago you might not have the internet but nowadays we do so it is something you can leverage and should leverage so yeah all right thanks for hanging out we will talk to everybody next week thanks for listening to another episode of the reseller's mindset podcast today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all youtube members along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.